Good morning. It's good to see you. My name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here. If I don't know you, I'd love to get to know you. Timothy would say the same thing as well as Blake and many others in this church. And so I just want to welcome you to Christ Central. And if you didn't know, we are continuing in our series this morning in the seven deadly sins. And I almost said last week what we would be looking at together this morning. Uh, And then I decided uh, not to do that because I decided that if I did that, some of you might want to avoid certain Sunday mornings, either based on conviction or maybe based on thinking the sin doesn't apply to you. And, and I'm sorry to say that all seven of these sins that we're looking at are convicting, and all seven apply to every single one of us this morning, especially the sin that we're looking at together this morning, which is greed. Uh, I woke up Monday morning already thinking about uh, this sermon, thinking about greed, Uh, how I would maybe preach this sin. And as I was getting out of the shower, uh, my wife Rachel yelled at me, Daniel, the trunk of your car and your doors on on your car are open. In other words, I think somebody broke into your car last night. And she was correct. Someone had gone through my car, popped the trunk of my car, and taken one of my uh, stolen, one of my most prized possessions my golf clubs, and my golf bag, uh, which had, they probably announced to them, a pretty high monetary, monetary value, but also extremely high sentimental value. Uh, clubs that have been gifted to me over the past 10 years, clubs that I had compiled over a long stretch of time. And after we filed a police report on Monday morning, I came to our church office, which is here in the basement, and a member of our church was there, and uh, I shared how frustrated I was of what just happened, and uh, he asked if he could pray for me. And so he prayed for my heart in the midst of this uh, situation, and then after he prayed for me, gave me one of his most valuable possessions. Uh, And I said, no, 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 I I don't need that. You, you, You take that, you keep that, I don't need it. And he said, no, no, I need to give it to you. And I said, why is that? And he said, because it's actually in giving and being generous that God teaches us not to hold too tightly to our possessions. Uh, I said, wow. And little did I know God was preaching this sermon to me that Monday morning through somebody in our church. I was upset over my golf clubs, which was unjust and a violation of my property, yet God was meeting me and did meet me and was changing my heart and is still changing my heart through the generosity of another person. We're going to read Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21 this morning as we look at this sin of greed. And I'm going to ask you to stand as we look at God's Word and read God's Word together. We stand every week to realize that our God speaks to us, and so we give attention. This is God's Word. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetedness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? 
so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Isaiah 40 tells us that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. I'm going to pray for us. Lord God, I ask that you would come and you'd speak to us. Lord, you have been speaking to me and I need to continue to hear from you about how tightly I can and I know we can hold on to our possessions and to our money and trusting in those rather than trusting in you. And so this morning, would you loosen our grip? Would you free our hearts from the love of these things that we might see how great you love us and that it would free us in the way we live our life? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, greed, it's a sin that I believe is applauded in our culture today. Greed is something that, uh, that many people would say helps our society. Right? It, it stimulates our economy. Right? Greed is a good thing. Uh, Donald Trump is the leading Republican nominee right now, and his campaign has pretty much been, I'm a billionaire. <laughs> I can make money. I'm successful. Look at all that I possess. Vote for me. <laughs> right? Our culture applauds greed. The old movie that was remade a few years ago, Wall Street, has the famous speech by Gordon Gecko, the Wall Street broker, where he proclaims greed is good. Greed is good. Many believe that greed is good because it drives a person forward. It, it motivates a person to be successful. Greed runs rampant in our country, in our society, within my heart, and within your heart. Listen to this sobering statistical report from 1991. This was 25 years ago. So I guarantee you that these numbers are, are way higher today than they were in 1991. But when asked what people would be willing to do for $10 million, 25% of people said that they would ab abandon their entire family. 25% of people said that they would abandon their entire church. 23% said they would become prostitutes for a week or more. 16% said they would leave their spouses. 10% said they would withhold testimony and let a murderer go free. 7% said they would kill a stranger. Greed has its grip on us. And yet the church does not talk about it much, as much as they should. And I have to say, Christ Central, we have not talked about it as much as we should. Now, I've shied away from wanting to talk about money because I've been in churches that always talk about money or I've been in churches that want you to give your money and try to manipulate to get your money for their own purposes. And, and perhaps I've realized that I've avoided talking about it for another reason. I'm afraid of how much greed has a hold of my own heart. But I believe not talking about this has become a detriment to you and to me, and to God's church. I'm not sure if you realize, but the scriptures speak way more about money than it does sex. Yet we find ourselves talking more about sex than money. And you know, the early church used to be characterized by people looking at the early church and saying about them that they were stingy with their sex and promiscuous with their money. Yet our culture, and I think our present church, has reversed that. We are stingy with our money, 
and promiscuous with our sex. Craig Baum, uh, Bloomberg, a professor at Denver Seminary, uh, wrote in his book, Neither Poverty Nor Riches, that in Scripture there are ten warnings on greed for every one warning for sexual sin. Ten to one ratio. Clearly the Lord Jesus is concerned about our greed. So we're going to look at three things this morning. The evil power of greed, the blinding power of greed, and then the freeing power from greed. So let's look first at the evil power of greed. At the end of Jesus telling this parable of the rich man of the rich fool, verse 20, God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? See, greed is not just defined by money and possessions. It is rather defined by our souls, by our inside. Greed is a habit of our souls. Greed is the inner condition of our hearts, which takes part of God's creation, in this sense, money and possessions, which are good in themselves, and then our desire for the created thing becomes ultimate or idolatrous. This is the evil power of greed. When our hearts and our souls become consumed with an excessive love of or desire for money or any possession that money can buy. Our text says that the land produced plentifully. There were nowhere to store the crops, so the rich young man said, I will tear down my barn and build large ones. There I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul. Greed is produced by a sense of entitlement. This is mine. I've earned it. It's mine. Every two-year-old experiences the phase of mine, right? If you've been around a multiple kids playing with toys, two-year-old comes up, mine. Mine. We actually keep playing that game throughout our lives. We, we just get way more sophisticated the older we become and how, how much we hide, how tightly we grasp on and hold our things. The rich man uses the possessive adjective over and over, my, 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 and we can just as much. My car, this is my house, this is my bank account, these are my golf clubs. <laughs> the evil power of greed comes when we trust our money and our possessions rather than trusting God. Here's a question for all of us this morning. Are all of our possessions really mine? Are all of our possessions really yours? Your possessions, they yours. Have we really earned it all? Or has God just been gracious to give good gifts to his people? Do you realize that anything we have is a gift from God? Your ability to work, your opportunities, your circumstances, God orchestrated everything and has given it to you. Seriously, God could have decided that you were going to be born in the 10th century in Nepal. And if that were the case, no matter how hard you worked, no matter how hard you studied, it would not have made a difference in how much money or how much possessions you acquired. It is a matter of God orchestrating your circumstances, my circumstances, and giving abilities and opportunities. And if you have more than others, it's because God has given these gifts to you. 
hear this, greed is not having possessions or money. Money and possessions are not evil in themselves. Greed is taking, in particular, money and possessions and then relying on these gifts of God as a substitute instead of relying on God himself. And as Peter Kreft said, when a creature is made into a god, it becomes a devil. Greed is powerful because it becomes enslaving. Greed is powerful because we become possessed by our possessions. We become possessed by our money. And being possessed by our possessions can manifest itself in many ways. It can, it can be revealed in the careless spending of money. It can be revealed in the liberal spending of money, in what and how much you put in your shopping cart, physically or online. <laughs> it could be revealed in a single purchase. It could be revealed in how quickly your money disappears once it comes in at the start of the month or the end of the month. It could be revealed in how many credit cards you have in your wallet, how aggressive you are in your stock portfolio. But the enslavement of greed is also revealed in the miserly, stingy saving of money and possessions. It's the Ebenezer Scrooge syndrome, right? Mine, mine, which is revealed in many ways. It can be seen in how much money we, we acquire and hold in our checking and savings account and how often we're looking at how much money is in our checking and savings account or how our stocks are doing. We're checking it over and over and over and over. It can be seen in... A closet full of great deals. She's got great deal, so you had to get it, right? Could be in the excessive grouponing or couponing, right? Or how conservative your stock portfolio might be. Either, either liberal spending or miserly saving, both ways are about us being possessed by our possessions. We become servants and slaves to our money and to what money can buy us, and greed does not discriminate. It enslaves the old and the young, the rich and the poor. Let's look next at the blinding power of greed. The blinding power. Look, Luke 12, verse 15. Jesus said to them, Take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness. Covetousness is greed. Be on your guard against greed. Jesus is saying, Watch out. For greed. We need to be on guard because we can be operating, uh, greed can be operating in our lives and we can be very unaware of it. Money and possessions blinds us to its power. We're blinded by how it affects us. I heard Tim Keller talk about this and he said, greed is one of the only sins that Jesus says watch out for. Jesus doesn't say watch out for adultery. Because someone, when they're having an affair with another woman, isn't surprised all of a sudden that they commit adultery. They knew all along what they were doing. Greed is hard to always identify. You don't always know when it's happening. It can creep in on you. So Jesus says, watch out. You know, I've been in ministry for 16 years now, and do you know the number of times I've had someone come to me and say, Pastor, I need to confess sin, and then they confess the sin of greed. Never. <laughs> Never. Never happened. Why? Because most people don't think they have an issue with greed. 
Most of us are blind to its power in our lives. And so let me give you a few ways that we allow ourselves to remain blind to grief. First way, we compare ourselves to others who have more and give less than we do. It's easy to justify our greed when we compare ourselves to people who earn more money, have nicer homes, drive nicer cars, and give less money away. If I compare myself to others, then I can always say, I'm not as bad as as they are, which keeps me in the dark about how deep greed is grasping my own heart. Second way we can remain blind is we can live out of sight, out of mind. We can live out of sight, out of mind. Now, I think our church, Christ Central, is trying to be intentional to not let this happen, but let me speak briefly about this. When we live around people that are just like us, with the same resources and money as us, then we think it is okay to keep up with everyone else. If others upgrade their lifestyles, we upgrade our lifestyles. If others buy more, I can buy more. If we're not around people who have less or around people who are in need, it is easy for those who those of us who have more, to live with an out-of-sight, out-of-mind mindset. For instance, I'm not sure if you grew up and your parents would try to motivate you to eat all your food by saying, you know, my mom would tell, Daniel, there are starving kids all around the world who have no food. Eat it. Eat your food. (laughs) Didn't motivate me very much, right? It was not very motivating because I didn't have a face and I didn't have a name with who my mom was talking about. They were out of sight, out of mind. But if we are around people that don't have as many resources, and we're around people that don't have as many opportunities, we can be reminded just how good God's been to us, to those of us who have, and how we can help those who don't. Here's one of the things I love about our church. We believe that everyone has incredible value within the church. Every individual has incredible value within our community, and that is especially true across socioeconomic lines. We hope to be a church with people that have tons of money. We want you to have tons of money, and we hope to be a church with people who are struggling with money and possessions. And living in this type of community, I believe, will keep us all aware of the creeping sin of greed because we cannot live out of sight, out of mind. We come every week and we hear about people who don't have jobs, We hear about people who are looking for a new home or people that are homeless or coming out of prison. And those of us with jobs or homes, with cars, have to really face our own hearts and our own struggle with wanting more and more and more. We have to face our greed. And those of you who who may have less, please know, please know, that those of us with more are the better for being around you. You teach us and the body of Christ is so much stronger with you being a part of Christ Central is stronger. Because you teach us what it looks like to really trust and to attach ourselves to God and Christ rather than attaching ourselves to our money and our possessions. You are a huge gift to this body. The last way, last way we remain blind to our greed is when we sacrifice We sacrifice a little, but it feels like a lot because we rarely sacrifice. (laughs) When we sacrifice, we sacrifice a little, but it feels like a lot because we rarely sacrifice. For instance, say Lent's coming up, right? It's the time of the Christian calendar. Lent's coming up, and we decide, we're going to sacrifice. I'm going to give up chocolate for the next 40 days. (laughs) 
And we do, and it's so hard. <laughs> it's so hard. Really? This is not sacrificial living. Some of us here do, but I would say most of us don't understand what it means to sacrifice greatly. And so when we do sacrifice a little, it feels like a lot. But we're just remaining blind and continuing to justify our greed. If we can be blind to our greed, and I believe we all are, it means we need one another. It means we need one another to speak into our lives and help us to see how greed is operating. You see, the age-old question, and I've had this conversation with many in our church, the age-old question when it comes to our money and to our possessions and to our greed is how much is too much? How much is too much? What, what can I spend? What should I not spend? How much is too much? How do I know the line between being greedy and then being able to buy what I want to buy and what I need to buy. See, the point of examining our hearts this morning with greed is not that we all leave here and we think we need to go live on breadcrumbs and, and possess nothing and give everything away. Remember, as I stated earlier, it's, it's not having possessions that is the issue, it's being possessed by them that is the issue. So to answer this age-old question in the midst of our blindness of, really, where's the line? We need other people. We need other people to help us answer the question. So imagine this. How would it feel if you let three to five other people see your monthly and yearly financial records? They saw how much money came in and how much money you spent and how much money you gave away. They saw your spending habits. They saw your retirement account. Let me ask this. What if three to five random people you did not know looked at your financial records? What sort of judgments would they make about you? How would they assess your character? They knew nothing about you but your financial record. Now, I'm not suggesting you let three to five random people look at your financial records, but I am saying that you cannot answer how much is too much by yourself. You will justify your greed all day long. I will justify my greed. We need other people to help us see this sin. We've looked at the evil power of greed, the blinding power of greed. The last thing I want us to look at this morning is the freeing power from greed. If we can be blind to it, and if it can be enslaving, how can we be set free from its grasp on our hearts? The very last verse of our passage lets us know this. Verse 21, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This verse is saying what other verses say. You cannot love both God and money. You're either rich in God's love and gripped by His love, or you are rich in, your, in money and possessions and gripped by it. So the way to be freed from greed is to experience and to believe in the riches of God's love towards us. We are set free from greed when we truly believe that in Jesus Christ we have everything. That's what the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4 talks about. He's learned the secret of being content, whether in being low or in abounding, whether having plenty or in need. In Christ Jesus, we have everything. Christ is the one who was rich, 2 Corinthians 8 9, and became poor, who had it all and gave it all away, so that you and I might become rich in what matters most, the forgiveness 
and the grace and the mercy and the love and the justice of God. Because Christ was sacrificial, we receive the riches of God. And if we truly believe that God has given us everything, and that in Christ we have everything we need, we are set free from thinking that everything is mine, mine, mine. And we move from living life with a tight grip around our possessions to a loose grip. And the virtue that's formed within our lives when we live this way is Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. We then, when gripped by the love of Christ, will be living lives of mercy. What does it mean to be merciful? Being merciful means that when you see a need, you give and sacrifice to meet that need. Mercy is not just the absence of greed, but the presence of generosity. The merciful are proactive in giving. Not simply just giving up wealth, but looking for ways to meet needs. The merciful realize they've been given much, not to spend on themselves or to be stingy with, but to give and to help their neighbor and those around them. The merciful realize that the love of God and love of neighbor is our chief call as a Christian. And if we possess much, it's so that we can help our neighbor in our community. So is having a lot of money and possessions evil? No, not at all. In fact, I would say, and I've heard others say and agree with them, that Christians should try and make the most money. You should try and make the most money. Not so that we can be greedy, but so that we can be merciful and generous and meet the needs of those in our community, in our city, and around the world. I want to end by giving you, as we're doing every week in this series, some spiritual practices to try to put into your life to help shape and mold you into a merciful person and free you from greed. I'm going to give you three this morning. The first, I've already kind of mentioned it, let others speak in. Let other people speak into your life. I will admit this is scary, but choose two to three close confidants that you would be willing to let see your income and your expenses and your giving. Try documenting all of your expenses, list them, list them in categories, and then let these two to three confidants see them and discuss what you possibly could have done without and where you spent money that maybe you didn't have to. Again, if we're blind to the power of greed in our lives, we need the help of close brothers and sisters to see clearly. Here's the second one. Sacrifice. I mentioned that already. Sacrifice or fast. Now, sacrificing is difficult to do when you're able to solve many of your problems with your checkbook. Sacrifice is surrendering control. It's loosening your grip and ultimately trusting the Lord. And, and so I, I would say sacrifice or fast. Withhold certain things from your life. Withhold spending money in certain ways. And I think this is a rhythm that could, could become true for our lives that really helps kill the power of greed. For instance, let me give you an example. Take one month and fast from spending money on eating out. Or fast from spending money on new clothes. Choose an expense that is hard for you and where you find yourself spending money and fast. Just sacrifice for a month. And do that occasionally. Weave that fasting in and out of your life. Here's another major way that you could sacrifice for the long term. 
A lot of you grad students in here, this, uh, this is you because uh, you'll be increasing in your pay throughout your life, uh, possibly. But if you get a pay raise in your job, it doesn't mean you have to increase your standard of living. What would it look like if you set a standard of living at a certain level and every time you got a pay increase, that was just more money to give away? What would, what would that look like for you? That's convicting. Uh, here, here's the last practice uh, that you can put into place. Tithing. Tithing. The tithe is something that some of you maybe have grown up hearing about, pounded over and over in church possibly. Maybe some of you have never heard about it. The tithe is an Old Testament command to give 10% of your earnings back to the Lord. A command to give to the Lord for His work and for His purposes. It is a command that the Lord gives us to check ourselves and to guard our hearts from greed. In the same way that Sunday worship on the Sabbath is a command and it's it's meant to reorient our minds and our hearts every Sunday morning back unto the Lord, the tithe is a command given to reorient our minds and our hearts with our money towards the Lord. The New Testament doesn't talk about the tithe. It it definitely talks about sacrifice and giving and generosity, and it gives descriptors. Do so with a joyful joyful heart, not under compulsion, but unto the Lord. And I think that the New Testament doesn't talk about the tithe because the tithe is really a baseline. It's the starting point for all Christians that all Christians should be doing. And we have not talked about this a lot in our church. And if this is your first Sunday here at Christ Central, I promise you, we are not a church that always talks about money. Uh, Rarely do we, as I've said. Uh, We are not a greedy church wanting to take your money. But I do want us to be a faithful church. And I want you to be faithful Christians. And I believe we all struggle deeply with greed in many ways. And I think the tithe can help guard and check all of our hearts. And some of you maybe never heard about it. Some of you have heard about it and you still just don't do it because of how tightly greed is grasping your heart. Are you willing to give generously and to give sacrificially? What would it look like if you gave 10% and then increased over the years? And and let me say this. I hope you've heard throughout this sermon. It's not just how much you give that matters. It's how you give that matters. With joy, with love, with cheerfulness, that really is the examination of where our heart is in the midst of greed and where our trust lies. Rich, poor, old, young, college student, empty nester, single doctor, teacher, social worker, what does it mean for you to give generously and with a joyful If we understand the love of Christ and that it is rich and it is free, we will be willing to give away our riches for the sake of God's glory. Again, what would it be like if you gave generously unto the Lord and to meet the needs of those around you? You were merciful. I believe if we, Christ Central, were 200 people plus, 200 people plus strong who lived this way, we would have more money to do incredible things with in our community, but also in this city, in the world. I believe if we had 200 strong giving generously this way, there would be no unmet need in our church. 
No unmet need within our community. And I believe the injustices of Durham would begin to be met. Homelessness, joblessness. Our church would be engaging in significant ways in our city. I want us to love Jesus, not money. I want us to give generously and be used as the hands and the feet of Christ. But I want us to be a church that has a ton of money. I want us to have a ton of money. Make a ton of money. But I want us to be a church that has a lot so that we can give a lot. And we can bless a lot. And we can heal a lot. And we can plant churches a lot. Will you let go of your grip on money and possessions and be gripped by the deep, deep love of Christ, because this is the only love that transforms the greedy into generous givers.